Welcome to the podcast of the Vine Church in Fullerton, California. For more information, visit thevineoc.com. Well, hey, good morning. Uh, again, hope you're doing well. Um, have you ever had one of those dreams uh, where you think you're awake, but you're not? And it feels so vivid, it, it feels so real, and you think you're awake, but of course then, you wake up. <laughs> and so you're not, you know, you're not, you're not in fact awake, you know, in that dream. And so sometimes I know when you wake up, you think, oh, you know, oh, you know, it was only a dream. Sometimes you're thankful it was just a dream. But either way, in that moment, you realize you were asleep, even though moments before you thought you were awake. And that's a weird experience, right? I had a dream like that a few months ago. But here's what's weirder, or perhaps more sobering. And it's the fact that you can be spiritually asleep, yet think you're awake. It's this very sobering reality. And so I want to talk to you this morning about being spiritually awake. What that looks like and how we can sort of wake up if we find ourselves spiritually groggy or spiritually asleep. And, and so think of this sermon sort of like spiritual coffee or maybe like a spiritual espresso shot, you know, uh, for the soul. Okay. And uh, a moment ago, we read from the book of Revelation chapter 22. And we're going to look at that. But actually, I want to start today back in Revelation chapter 3. And this passage we're going to look at is actually a letter from Jesus through the Apostle John to a church in the city of Sardis, which is in present-day Turkey. Now, Jesus, in a vision, he gave John seven letters to the seven major churches of Asia Minor in, in that day, and this is one of them, okay? Now, does anyone remember the 90s movie, Sleepless in Seattle? Okay, so I'm dating myself a bit. So this letter could be titled Sleeping in Sardis. <laughs> so that's just a little preview. So let me read this to you. Uh, chapter 3, Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. So this is a warning from Jesus to the church at Sardis. This is sort of a, a wake-up call. And of course, these are, are sobering words. And so what is the situation that Jesus is addressing in this letter? Well, it's interesting. If you compare this letter to the other letters that Jesus wrote to the churches in Revelation, in all the other letters, there's some sort, at least some sort of commendation. You know, you've got this going for you. You've got this. You've got that. But here, it's like th- there's, there's nothing going on. It's like they're just sort of on spiritual autopilot. And interestingly, there is no mention of persecution in this letter. 
Whereas in most of the other letters to the churches in Revelation, there's, there's mention of persecuting, persecution rather that they're fighting against. And so what we see is that the church in, in rather Sardis has just sort of settled in to a place of comfortable complacency with the surrounding culture. They're not living their faith in such a way that it's actually drawing any attention or drawing any opposition, which it would if you're really living it out in that context. You would, you would attract opposition. That, 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 that was the context. And so one scholar says this. He says, The church of Sardis was not alive enough to have enemies or confront heresy. It had simply become the model of non-offensive Christian faith. You know, they were just great people to hang around with and, you know, didn't, didn't have a problem with anyone or anything. And, and in verse 2, it says, I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. And so you get this image uh, of a people who kind of started out on this Christian journey, but somewhere along the way, it's like they just kind of hit the pause button. It's like they just kind of sat down. It, maybe they got distracted uh, we don't know exactly what happened, but you get this impression of a people who's just sort of floating along spiritually. And the irony, the deep irony is that they think they're awake, but Jesus tells them you're actually asleep spiritually. They're actually like on spiritual life support. And so in light of that, Jesus issues this wake-up call. Now imagine with me, they're just sort of Drifting along, you know, everything seems to be going fine. And, and Jesus sends them this message. You've got to kind of enter into this. So there's a group of people. Think of an actual group of people gathered together. They would gather together, like we're gathered together here. And a messenger shows up and he says, hey, uh, great news. I've got a letter from John. It's actually from Jesus, but through the apostle John. I'm like, oh, we love John, big fans. And we love Jesus even more, big fans. And so let's gather around and, you know, read this letter together. And, and so they're reading through it. And they come across this really strong language. You have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Whoa. That is a wake-up call, right? Imagine if you got that letter. That is a wake-up call, right? Now, what's the point of this? I mean, is, is Jesus just being harsh? Did he sort of wake up on the wrong side of heaven? I mean, what... What, what is going on here? No, no, he's not. It's, he's, he's, he's giving them this wake-up call because he loves these people, because he's for them, not against them, and because he has better things in store from them than what they have in their life right now. I'll just give an illustration. So recently, uh, I went to my dentist uh, for my regular checkup. Turns out it's Dave Turner's dad. He's a great man. And uh, he, he pointed out to me that I'm, I actually have early stage gingivitis, which is a gum disease. And so for me, that was like a mini wake-up call. Like, oh, like, I actually need to floss regularly. <laughs> like, oh, okay. Kind of shook me awake. And then, um, but then he said, you know, I noticed... He said, I noticed there's like some weird tissue on your gums. And so I said, I'm going to, he said, I'm going to send you to the oral surgeon. So I go to the oral surgeon. He says, we're, we're going to have to biopsy this thing. So obviously my question is, well, well what is it? <laughs> he said, well, I don't know. It, it could be nothing. It, it could be a, a precancerous lesion. It could be cancer. I'm like, what? You got to be kidding me. You know, like I'm thinking I'm 39. Like that's, you throw around the C word. That's really big language, you know? And so for me, uh, that was a, a bit of a wake-up call. Now, 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 let me ask, why did the oral surgeon say that? Was he being harsh? No. He cared about me. 
He cared about my well-being, so he was straight up with me. That is Jesus' heart in this. He cares about these people. He loved these people, and he cares about them enough to actually speak the truth in love. That's what's going on here. That's every wake-up call you ever get from God is always birthed out of a heart of love. You have to know that. You have to hear that. And so that's what's happening in, in this passage. And uh, by the way, I'm not worried about it. I'll, I'll find out on Tuesday what that is. I'm not worried about it, but prayers are always appreciated. But Jesus' heart is always love in this. And we can, we can experience wake-up calls uh, lots of different ways in our lives, right? And perhaps some of you in the recent weeks or, or months have, have had a wake-up call of some kind in your life. And, and, and so often we can see these things as negative but I want to invite us to sort of reframe these in our mind as actually an invitation. It's actually almost like a, a, a gift. And it's not, it might not be what we, what we wanted to have happen. It might not be our ideal scenario. But I think if we learn to see these things properly, we can realize that these things can actually be gifts for us in our life because they can shock us out of our complacency and they can get us to act in a way that we wouldn't if everything else was great. And I don't know about you, but, and actually I once had a, a family member share, he said, you know, I, I never learned anything from the easy times. Never learned anything. Everything he learned was from the challenges. It's from those kind of moments. And so God wants to use these things so often to, to, to get, get, get our attention. And it's an invitation to a different kind of life. So that's what's happening here. Jesus is exhorting the church of Sardis. He's giving them a wake-up call. Now, now, what is it, let me ask, what is it that can, if they're asleep, what, what are the kinds of things that can lull us to sleep spiritually? I think there are many things, but there are at least a few things we see, I think, alluded to in this passage. And the first is this idea, I've arrived. Very dangerous idea. I've arrived. And this can look lots of different ways. You might not use that language in your own mind, but let me read to you from verse 2. Jesus says, wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. So one possibility here is that the church of Sardis got to this place where they're just sort of like, eh, you know, I've arrived. And, and therefore they stopped growing in their relationship with God. They stopped growing in their faith. And, and this can look lots of different ways I remember when I was a kid, I, uh, you know, I remember thinking, you know, well, I prayed the sinner's prayer. Okay, check. That's all I need. I'm good to go. I'm in, right? Uh, some of you, you might come from traditions where the emphasis was more on baptism. So you thought, hey, I've been baptized. Check. I'm good to go. Some of us maybe might feel like, well, I know the Bible. I, I know theology. I've arrived. That's all I need. And so this can come in lots of different ways, but the results are disastrous because not only is this misguided thinking, but it can lead to a life of spiritual complacency. That, that's where that leads. And that is the very thing that Jesus is warning against in this passage. And by the way, you have to know that the goal of the Christian life is not to just sort of squeak into heaven when you die. That, that is not the goal. It's not to just kind of get your card punched it's not an impersonal thing. Actually, what Jesus said in John seventeen three is he said, now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And that is, uh, that is language of intimacy, of relationship, of this relational knowing. And, and so what that means is, is that there is always more, that you will never arrive. 
and I may have said this a few weeks ago, but I'll say it again. Think of what the Apostle Paul said in Philippians 3, verse 10. He said, this is the Apostle Paul, he said, I want to know Christ. You might think, well, don't you already know Christ? Yes, of course, in a sense. I mean, think of his life, you know. His first encounter with Jesus was the risen Christ appearing to him on the Damascus Road. He caught, got caught up to the third heaven. He'd seen miracles and, and, and life change and salvations and amazing things happen. So if anyone could say, check, I know Christ, that would be Paul. He did not say it. He says, I want to know Christ, meaning there is more. There is always more. And as I used, I think, this image a few weeks ago, but it's like God is like the Pacific Ocean and we're in a paddle boat. And as far as the eye can see is glory, is beauty, is majesty. You'll never get to the end of it. There is always more. You will never arrive. Amen? (laughs) Now, some people, I think what tempts them is not so much this idea that I've arrived, but it's the idea that I've gone far enough. I've gone far enough. You ever felt that? You know, you're like, I've been following Jesus a long time. I've been really serious in my faith. I've prayed a lot. I've served a lot, uh, but I'm tired, or maybe I'm disappointed, or maybe I'm confused, or maybe I'm, I'm bored. And you might think, but I mean, I'm, not, I'm not getting off the path of discipleship, but I think I'm just going to take a breather. I think I'm just going to sit down right here. Ever feel that? Ever struggle with that? And perhaps you're there right now. I once uh, spoke with someone who stopped going to church, and she told me, you know, one day, for just for some random reason, I didn't go to church, but she said, it just became so easy to not go. The problem about sitting down is that it, sometimes then it's hard to get back up. It, it's, it's just a, it's a dangerous thing. And, 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 and so it could be that this is the kind of idea that lulled the church of Sardis to sleep. I've, yeah, I've gone far enough. Because Jesus says, he says their deeds are what? unfinished. So somewhere along the way, again, it's like they hit the pause button. They just stop. They stop growing. They stop really following. And they stop pressing into that relationship with God in the journey of becoming more like him. And I know this can be a very real temptation, especially if you've been following a Jesus for many years, and especially if you're maybe later uh, in, your, in your life. So if you're in that group, I just want to maybe speak to you for a moment. I, uh, something really struck me as I thought about this passage. Think of who is, is writing this book. I mean, obviously, ultimately Jesus, but who, who's, who's the kind of the, the, the messenger? The Apostle John. Where is he in his life when he receives this revelation? He is at the end of his life. He is an old man when he receives the greatest revelation of Jesus Christ he ever had in his life. And he was a messenger used by God to deliver something that would impact the world for millennia. So as I've heard it said, if you're not dead, you're not done. If you're not dead, you're not done. I'm sorry. Amen. (laughs) You're just not. God has more for you. He has more for you. And so that's an invitation. So that's the second thing. But a third thing that can really, I think, be a challenge for us, that can kind of almost just kind of rock us to sleep spiritually, and it's the dynamics of our culture. It's the dynamics of our culture. There, this can come at us in so many different ways. Um, now, in, in this, as I mentioned in, in this letter, there's no mention of, of persecution uh, that uh, the church in Sardis was experiencing. There's no mention of them really, you know, uh, struggling against heresy as all the other churches were. 
So again, it's just this image of complacency. They're just kind of floating along. And what we see here is rather than them having an impact on culture, culture was having an impact on them. And that is so easy to happen. Now, in their culture, this was a culture of paganism. Our culture, it has some pagan elements, but it's a culture of secularism, right? And I want to read to you a quote from Ronald Rollheiser about how our culture can affect us. He says this, We live lives of quiet agnosticism. Our faith often feels like doubt. Our everyday consciousness contains little or no awareness of God. We tend to be atheistic in our imaginations and in our feelings. Even as we profess faith, say the creed, go to church, and perhaps even do ministry, we have icons in our churches, but not in our hearts. This is not because we're hedonistic, pagan, bad, or materialistic, but because we live and move and breathe in a culture that no longer gives us the tools to create those icons. Our present cultural currency, certainly in the Western world, is not equipped to help us imagine or feel God's existence. The air we breathe is agnostic or even atheistic. And I don't know, just, you know, so I, about a month and a half ago, I started going to the gym. And of course, they've got all this pop music going. So even though I don't want to, I know every Ariana Grande song. I'm like, no, I've been brainwashed. I can sing any Ari tune you want. I can sing, uh, what's the other one? B.B. Rexa. I, I mean, I know all these pop stars because it's like every time there just keeps pounding. You see, it's such a silly example, but it's true. I mean, I don't like, honestly, I, yeah, so, uh, I'm, I'm not going to quote or sing for you, but just an image, just our environment, it just, it gets in us. So what that means is that if we're not intentional in guarding our hearts and cultivating our relationship with Christ, we will just, just be assimilated. It's like the frog in the kettle. You know, you'll just be assimilated to the dynamics of the culture around us, right? So that's, I think that's the third thing. Um, but again, we've seen that it's possible and it's so sobering to think about, to, to think you're awake spiritually, but in fact be asleep. And, and, and so again, Jesus issues this, this wake up call because he loves this church and he loves us and he wants us to be alive in him. He wants us to really know his heart. And so we've been looking at the church of Sardis is sort of a case study uh, of a church that is asleep spiritually. But I want to now kind of fast forward to Revelation 22, just to give us an image of a church that is awake spiritually. Such a beautiful picture. So what does an awake church look like? What does an alive church look like? Well, let's turn for a moment to Revelation 22, and we're just kind of camp out on verse 17. Let me read this to you again. The Spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. So let, let's walk through this. So, so who is the Spirit here? Well, this is referring to the Holy Spirit. And who is the bride? Well, this is referring to the church. Now, if you're new to the Bible, uh, you might not know this, but the Holy Spirit is like your wedding planner. And one of his jobs is to prepare you for your wedding day. And there's this image of scripture that one day the church will marry the Lamb of God. And what this is, this is a picture of, of intimacy, of union between Christ and his people. Just this beautiful picture. And, and so one of the Holy Spirit's jobs is to prepare you for that day. 
And so he's at work in our lives. And one of the things we see him doing in this verse is that he is inspiring in the hearts of God's people a hunger, a passion, a longing for Jesus, for more of him, for Jesus, for Jesus to come. And an awakened church in every age is a church that has this kind of passion, that is this kind of heart. It is a church that longs more than anything else for Jesus, for him to come, for him to come in intimacy, for him to come in renewal and revival, for him to come again. And that is really the heart of a church that is awake. It longs, it hungers for Jesus. The church of Sardis, well, again, they, they thought they'd arrived, or at least that they'd gone far enough. But an awake church will settle for nothing less than more of Jesus. Why? Because they know that he is the greatest. That he's, he's the best. He's amazing. He's the, he's the answer to every longing, the fulfillment of every desire. That His love is better than life. I want to read to you a quote. I read it a couple weeks ago, but it's so good, so relevant. I want to read it again. I know many of you were traveling as well. This is from A.W. Tozer's little book, The Pursuit of God. And this is from the opening chapter. And he writes this, To have found God and still to pursue him is the soul's paradox of love. Scorned indeed by the too easily satisfied religionist, think Sardis, but justified in happy experience by the children of the burning heart. As I mentioned before, if I were to start a band, that might be the title. Children of the burning heart. I think that's cool language. (laughs) He goes on to say, Come near to the holy men and women of the past, and you will soon feel the heat of their desire after God. They mourned for him. They prayed and wrestled and sought for him day and night, in season and out. And when they had found him, the finding was all the sweeter for the long seeking. He goes on, I want to deliberately encourage this mighty longing after God. The lack of it has brought us to our present low estate. Complacency is a deadly foe of all spiritual growth. Let me say that one more time. Complacency is a deadly foe of all spiritual growth. And he goes on to say, acute desire must be present or there will be no manifestation of Christ to his people. He waits to be wanted. He waits to be wanted. Too bad, Tozer says, that with many of us, he waits so long, so very long, in vain. Such a powerful quote. But do you see this distinction that he's drawing? It's this distinction we've been talking about. This distinction between complacency on the one hand and and this this longing for God, this longing, this hunger for God uh, on the other. And really that is the difference between a church that is awake and a church that is asleep. That that is really the difference at bottom. So let me just apply this to our context for a a moment. And I I believe that one of the things that God is stirring among us is a a longing, a desire for more of him. I hear this bubbling up and so many people are just feeling this. And so I just say, let's press into that together. And what is so encouraging to me is that as I've been connecting with pastors in different parts of the country, I'm, I'm hearing this bubble up in other places as well. So I really feel that the spirit of God is really stirring something in our time. And that makes me so excited because as I look at the history uh, of moves of God throughout history, every move of God, every outpouring of the Holy Spirit, every renewal, revival, whatever language you want to use is always preceded by that kind of longing, by that kind of passion. And so for me, 
that makes me wonder, what does God have in store? I mean, just, just dream with me for a minute. What if the church in America was no longer satisfied with programs or personalities or podcasts or, or entertainment or film? What if our, our longing, we would settle for nothing less than more of Jesus? What if, what if that was our heartbeat? What might happen? What might break forth in our lives? What might break forth in our neighborhoods, in our cities? I can only imagine. I can only imagine. If we longed for, for God like the psalmist in Psalm 42, I love this. He says, as the deer pants for streams of water, my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? I, I, there's such a beautiful image of this longing, this passion. That is at the heart of a church, of a people that is spiritually awake. Now, just as I try to kind of land this plane, <laughs> I want to ask, what, what can we do if we find ourselves in a situation like Sardis? We're like, to be honest, I'm kind of spiritually sleepy. I, I just, maybe I don't have that kind of passion in my heart. Maybe I'm distracted, whatever it is. What do you do? Well, I think the first step is always awareness. That is a great place to start. Just to be aware of the fact that that's where you are. And, and be honest about it with yourself, uh, with God. I think one of, the, one of the greatest hindrances to growth is playing pretend. And a lot of people are tempted to this in church. They feel like, oh, I'm at church. I've got to pretend I got it all together. Everything's great. No, just be real. Start with that awareness. But after that, what do you do? Well, there's this really important word here in verse two. It says, strengthen what remains. Strengthen what remains. Now, notice Jesus is not, Jesus is saying that even if you've been spiritually asleep, there is something that remains. There's some ember somewhere down in. There's some ember of faith or of hope or of longing, and, and it's there. And the fact that you're here today proves that, that there's still some ember there. And so the call is to strengthen what remains. And so what that means is start with whatever you have. Just, just, just take that. Start with that. Don't compare yourself to others. Just start with what you got and strengthen what remains. Last week, I was watching one of those survival shows, one of those really rugged ones where they take a couple people and they drop them in the middle of nowhere, like this rugged, like crazy jungle that no one would ever live in just because it's so harsh. And all they have is like a machete and a pot, maybe a flint, right? And so obviously they realize that one of their first jobs is to build a fire, right? And so right off the bat, they eventually get a fire, a great fire, you know, oh, this is going to keep us warm throughout the night. But guess what? If they get complacent, they fall asleep, they're not taking turns watching the fire, tending the fire, guess what? That fire starts to dwindle. And in this episode, this fire started to dwindle. And then, and then on top of that, a monsoon comes. <laughs> a mo- it's like, like you've got to be kidding me. A monsoon comes. And of course, there's this, this torrential downpour. And so as I'm watching this, I'm thinking, this is such an image of the call of this passage. Because so many of us, like, the circumstances of your life or the pressures of culture or the stresses of trying to make it in Southern California. It's like this monsoon and you're trying to keep this fire alive. And so what that means is if you're complacent, it will not work. The call is to strengthen what remains. Gather those embers. They're there. Gather them. Cultivate them. How do you do that? Well, I think there's kind of, if you think of this image of tending a fire, there are two sides to this. On the one hand, to, to, to have a fire to build a fire, um, you need to first protect that fire from things that would put it out. And so a question you might want to ask yourself is, is there anything in your life that you need to remove in order for that fire to grow? 
Is there something you need to protect it from? Again, like torrential downpours. <laughs> Whatever that might be, an equivalent might be in your life. So what might you need to remove from your life to tend to strengthen what remains? But then secondly, what might you need to add to that little fire, to those embers in your heart so that that fire can grow? Again, a real, you know, in, in, in you know, physical fire, it's like, oh, obviously you need some tinder, you need some wood, you might need to blow on it. It needs air, it needs these right, this is right ingredients, the right balance. And so what is that in your life that you might need to add in? It might be prayer. Maybe you've kind of gotten out of habit of actually talking to God. And maybe it's been a while. Um, maybe, and, and by the way, sometimes uh, I've struggled with, think, with thinking that, that the only thing that matters is intensity. And I think we can underrate and undervalue consistency. It, it's kind of like going to the gym. A really hard workout's great, but a really hard workout once a year ain't going to get you very far. I'd rather have a little workout, you know, three times a week, five times a week. That, that, will, that will actually change your life. Spiritually, a little bit of prayer, a little bit of scripture every day, that can start changing your life. That can start kindling that fire. Now, I don't know what the next step is for you, but again, those are the questions. What might I need to remove and what might I need to add to my life? And also, just um, there, there's, 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 this, there's this passage, and I believe it's in Hebrews, talks about not forsaking the meeting together. And I think sometimes if we want that fire, we actually have to gather with other Christians to kind of like, you get the hot coals together, then the fire comes. So some of you, maybe the next step is, I need to press more into Christian community. Maybe I actually really need to, to you know, uh, I think it was Woody Allen who said like 90 or 80% of life is just showing up. Some of you just need to show up. And like that will make all the difference in the world. So that is just something for you to think about. What, what, what are those things that God is calling you to, to strengthen what remains? And one last kind of practical uh, idea is, is simply prayer. That doesn't, I know it seems like prayer, seriously, that's it? Yeah, prayer. It might not sound profound, but it actually uh, will change your life. Um, um, Matthew uh, chapter 7, verse 7, Jesus says this. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock, and the door will be open to you. And I want to submit that he actually meant that. That he actually meant that. Sometimes we, we look at these things like, okay, whatever, anyways, no, 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 I, I think he actually meant that. No, no, there, we can get into like the fine-grained details of okay, and well, there's obviously some implicit qualifications and blah, blah, blah. But here's one thing we know for sure is in God's will. You having a heart that is awakened to God. You having a heart that longs for him, that is in God's will. He will answer that prayer every time, every time, I guarantee. I'll share a story. Um, well, I could share two stories. My first, really, the, the first, I don't know what you want to say, um, breakthrough, I don't know what you want what, what to call it, moment in my journey of following Jesus as an adult was, I remember sitting in my uh, bed in my dorm at Cal Poly, and I told God, I started this place of honesty, God, honestly, I don't want you, but I want to want you. So would you meet me where I am? And I tell you what, he did. He, look, I wouldn't be here today had he not answered that prayer, right? He answers prayer. Um, I'll share another one that's related. And, and then later that year, uh, there was a guy at a Christian student thing, gave a talk, and he, he said, you know, you should have a heart for God and uh, a heart for people. And I think, okay, heart for God, I got that now. But people? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Like, I don't like most people. And so I prayed. I just, simple faith. Well, Jesus said, ask. Okay, I'm asking. Jesus, would you give me a heart 
for people. And I tell you, in a relatively short period of time, I can't remember what the time span was, he did that. Now I actually, I actually love people. How about that? And you can be thankful. Otherwise, I would have been a really lousy pastor. I'm just saying. <laughs> so you can be thankful. But God is a God who answers prayer. And he, he wants you to be alive. He wants you to be a- awake. He doesn't want you to settle for just the mediocrity of all the stuff that gets thrown at us every day. He has a life for you. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. And that is found in him. With him is the fountain of life. And so the question is, what is that next step for you? in this journey. There are embers there. I don't care how you feel. You might feel defeated. You might feel burnt out. You might feel beaten down. There are embers there. Jesus wants to fan those into a flame. He wants to, he wants to do that in your life. And uh, I'll just invite the band to come back up um, as we close. So just wherever you are uh, today in your journey with God, Jesus' desire is for greater intimacy with you. He longs for that. And Revelation 3.20, he says he stands at the door and knocks, and, and the one who opens to him, he will come in and, and, and dine with him, which is this image of, of intimacy, of fellowship. It's a beautiful image, and, and so that's really his heart. And so let's pray together. So you might just want to just think for a moment, what, what is the Holy Spirit just stirring in your heart right now? What, what is really just kind of the cry of your heart? Uh, in this moment. What is God saying to you? We're going to take just a moment. The band's just going to play a little instrumental. And we're just going to sit in God's presence together. And and uh, this is just a time for you to connect with God. And so you might just think, what, what do you want to say to him? Or what's he saying to you?